All right, all right, all right, all right. First Corinthians chapter four is where we're at today. Uh, if you're a guest with us, my name's Al. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, it's an honor and privilege to open up God's word today. So we're gonna do that. First Corinthians chapter four. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. It is about Jesus, uh, the whole thing. Um, and so we're gonna worship him through the, the teaching of his word today. And so a little bit of uh, context. Uh, uh, we've, where we've been is Paul's writing to this church. He's the, the, the founding pastor of this church. And uh, this church in Corinth is a young church, around 50 to 80 people, young, urban, uh, progressive uh, type church. Uh, and, and so the first century they're in, in Corinth, which is a, a Greco-Roman area, a temple of Aphrodite, if you know your, your, Greek, your Greek history a little bit. Uh, so a lot of weird stuff going on in that city. Uh, additionally, they, they're struggling with, uh, do, they, do they keep their idolatry going? Do they keep eating their meat sacrificed to idols? Do they keep up their sexual immorality, which is rampant in their church? They continue to, uh, to fight over things, things that are, that are happening in this church up to this point we've discussed that, that they've picked teams. It's weird to pick teams in a church, but they have their favorite pastors in their church. Imagine if, you know, if they had the media and they had YouTube like we do today, they would have like their favorite celebrity pastor. But right now they have, they have their, their favorite pastors. One, the Apostle Paul. Two, Apollos, who was a great orator, a great preacher. Um, and then also uh, Peter, one of the uh, Jesus' apostles, you know, one of the, 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 the men who walked with Jesus. And so they picked teams. So about, imagine it's 40 the, the, the 80 people. They, they, have, they have their teams. The church is divided into like tens. And they have their own teams. Imagine they have their own, you know, it's like their sports jerseys. They have their teams. They're divided. Paul's not having it. He's not liking this. He's, he's, uh, he's now likened uh, the, the, this church to uh, planting a garden or planting a vineyard or planting a field. That Paul plants, Apollos waters, meaning they're a team. They're doing the, the, the work of planting, and God's the one causing spiritual growth in, in the church's life. Additionally, he wants them to play a part of planting and watering so that more people can know, love, and meet Jesus and be transformed. But they're not doing that. Paul wants them to. And uh, they're too busy acting like the world, and he's, he's calling them to repentance. Uh, additionally, we looked at last week the, the metaphor of a building, that, that Paul said the foundation of the building is Jesus Christ, and then we are, as, as the church, to build on top of that, build things God's way, uh, or else God's going to, uh, whatever we build not God's way, won't make it into the new heavens and the new earth. And so that's what Paul has been, uh, we've been talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3. Um, and so I want you to see that, that Paul loves this church. He loves them deeply. He, he loves them. And, and so this week, what we're, he's going to do is, what we're going to see is we're going we're to see things through his perspective. He has the heart of a pastor. And so we're going to see uh, Paul's perspective, a pastor's perspective in the context of this crazy wild church. And he's going to write to them. He's writing to them, telling them, hey, here's my perspective. Here's, what I, here's my job. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what's going on around. And I'm doing this. Uh, I'm, I'm sharing this to you, not to boast, not to brag, because he's already talked about his boasts in Christ. But, but I need you to see things from my perspective so you can kind of understand what it's like to be a pastor, to you Corinth, this type of church, it's really, really hard. And y'all are making it even harder for me. And that's what, uh, that's what Paul is going to say to them. And so today, I want you to hear what Paul has to say from the, the, the perspective of, of what it looks like to be a, a leader in ministry uh, and, and leadership in the context of a church. Uh, and then also understand that Jesus uh, uh, has, to, has to put up with us too. 
That is the reality, that Jesus loves us so much. He's very patient. He's tender. And so hopefully, by God's grace, we can see Jesus' love uh, towards us as well. But the way we're going to start is we're going to look at the reality that leadership, Christian leadership particularly, leadership in the context of the church are, are two things. But you must be a servant and a steward. A servant and a steward. He says it this way, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, uh, this is how you should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required that stewards be found faithful. So church leaders, Christian leaders may be many things. They may be and they are many things. But right now we're going to focus on two things. They are certainly these things. They're servants and they're stewards. So we'll deal with servants first. Because that's where it, that's the first thing we see is they're servants. And so some of you, you aspire to ministry. You want to be in church leadership. And, and uh, the first thing we must see about this is uh, that, that a servant or a, a church leader is a servant or a, a bond servant or a slave. Like that's literally what the word means. To be a slave they are slaves of Christ. I don't know about you. Did you grow up, you know, you, know, you probably grew up like me, uh, and you're like, man, what do I want to be? You grew up, and your friends were like, you know, I want to be a, uh, I want to be a firefighter. I want a police officer. I want to be in a band. I want to play on the NBA team. I want to be on the football team. You, like, and, like, none of your friends were like, I hope I'm a slave. Like, no one. Like, I, I'm signing up for, like, slavery. Like, that's what I want. I want someone to own me, and I don't want to have my own rights. I want everything revoked, especially if you were in Texas. None of you were like, I want my white rights revoked. You're like, you're like, no way. That's the opposite of what I'll ever be. That's what he's saying. So I need you to see if you aspire to Christian ministry, you, want, you, you, you aspire to lead in a church, you got to understand, like, you are a slave to Jesus. He owns you. Now, now, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. I know most of us, depending on uh, uh, the, the, your, your context, you know, there, there's 0% chance that a slave's a good idea. So, you know, like, that's a, but a slave to Christ is the greatest thing you could be. And, and the truth is, truth be told, that even Christians uh, who are not in, in, in ministry or in leadership are also slaves of Christ. But the point he's making is it is especially certain that the leaders in the church must see themselves as dependent and enslaved to, to obey the commands of Jesus. And that's going to matter as we get into the context of, of, of what he's saying here. But they're slaves to Jesus, meaning this, he's in charge he calls the shots. So we said last week that, when, that the encouragement to the church is that we would, we would build things God's way. Build the church God's way. And so those who aspire to church leadership, which uh, Paul tells Timothy, that's a noble thing. That's a noble thing. But it is one that the Holy Spirit must, must, must impart and set apart. We, we see through the scriptures that it's the Holy Spirit who sets apart overseers in the church. And that's a really good, good thing. Because... He's the one who chooses you for the job, chooses you for in, in enslavement to Jesus. This is not something that you should aspire to uh, in your own strength, but you, know, you, can, you can desire to be godly. But hey, I, we should, when, when Jesus says become uh, a church leader, that's when we want to. Because it really isn't, we're going to see today, isn't a, a, a glorious thing. It, it really isn't. He's going to later say that uh, Christian leaders are, you know, the, the, the scum of the world. It's what he's going to get to. Like, that's where he's headed. So it's only going to get, like, more degrading in, in how, 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 how Christian leaders are viewed in the context of this world. And so the Holy Spirit is what sets apart one for ministry, and that matters. And hopefully by the time we're, in, we're, we're, we're done with this, you'll see that no sane person would want to be a, a church leader unless the God, the Holy Spirit, changed their hearts, transformed them, and called them to it. And that's how it should be. 
It's so weird to me that there's people uh, in, in other contexts, other churches, just like their goal is to be like a church leader and they don't really love Jesus. They want to use Jesus for their own gain, popularity. Like it's, it's like, man, pastors can be, you know, uh, people can like them and they can stand on stage and people can like, yeah, that's like 0.0% of the stuff we do. And uh, it, it's just, it's a lot more and it's none of the glorious stuff. Paul's going to explain that today. So I want us to see from the context of Paul, a pastor, so that we can see, as, as my, my next point here is that at the church members, that, that you are the elders, or we call pastors here, our elders are pastors here, and the deacons, uh, they, they serve the church as God's called and chosen vessels to love and care, bless, nourish, love, serve you. I want you to do that. The, the church members are recipients of God choosing men and, and going, hey, you're going to be a, a bondservant of me, and I'm going to, to, to give you gifts, and I'm going to uh, put you in a position to lovingly uh, serve, love, serve, care, feed, protect, defend a people, a particular people. And guess what? You're going to answer to me. That's what God tells the pastors and deacons. Like, you answer to me. So if you mess with my children, you harm my children, we talked about last week, right, that uh, those who, de- who desire leadership uh, in order to destroy Jesus' church, he's like, hey, I'll destroy you. Like, so he's, he, you must be found, he says, trustworthy or faithful. And so he, he calls men, to uh, pastors, and, and then he calls deacons, and he elects them to, to this office to, because Jesus loves you. And Jesus cares for you, and, and he wants to care for you through the sacrificial service of those whom he has enlisted for his work in the church. I want you to see that. And so Paul's trying to get them to see that, that the reason why he's writing this letter to them, the reason why he's got a lot of things, this is the second longest letter in the New Testament that Paul writes. Like the first is Romans, the second is 1 Corinthians. He has a lot to say the church in Corinth. He writes, we know two more, or we, we have one more letter, 2 Corinthians, and we, have, we, we know of two other letters that just didn't make the scriptures that it, it, because Paul was so angry probably, and like, it just wasn't godly, what he was saying. Uh, it's likely. We can talk about that afterwards, but here's the deal. We, we see 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians together. The most, this is the one church in the history of, of the New Testament that got a lot of words from the apostle. They got the most written to them because they had the biggest issues. Paul's not writing to them because he hates them. He's not you know, bringing out all their baggage because he wants to scold them. He's not saying hard words to them because he, he, he just wants to talk down to them. He's doing this because he loves them. He loves them. He wants to lift them up. He wants to build them up. He wants to encourage them. And so today we're seeing that, that, that his perspective, this is what a, a pastor deals with. This is what he goes through. And so... You need to see that uh, uh, in addition to uh, uh, the pastors, the, the church leaders, um, that are, are not just servants, but they're also stewards. They're not just servants, but they're stewards. And so to those, again, who, who desire to be in church ministry, who want to be leaders in the church, man, praise God, that's a noble thing. You aspire to be a pastor, but far too often I see, uh, I'm not saying in this church, but I'm saying just in general, what I see is that guys finally get, they, they made it. Their goal is to be a leader. It's, they, they look at church like a business where like if they can just climb the ranks, they can just get there. But here's the reality. A church is not a business where, and you're not consumers or, or customers or clients. 
We are the family of God. We're the building of God. As we've taught, we're the field that God is establishing to bring about his kingdom in the city to be a blessing to, to one another and to the city. And so this is, this is what he is saying. He's saying that, that it's not just okay to be a leader, but you've got to be found faithful. It says more of it is required that stewards be found faithful. Not just are you a servant, but you're a steward that must be found faithful. His language brings us back here to Jesus' teaching uh, of the parable of the talents. This is exactly the language of what he is speaking to, when, when, that we should be the type of people, and especially Christian leaders, they're going to, be, they're going to give an account. And are they going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or are they going to, again, hear, well done, good and faithful servant, slave, bond servant, or are they going to hear, like, bro, did you, why did you squander everything? What did you do? You didn't do anything. And, and there's a lot of times that we, we, we look around and we're like, uh, well, well, woohoo, I made it to leadership. Woohoo, I'm a leader. Who cares? You got to do something. It's not enough to be a leader. It's a, you must, a leader must be a steward who's found faithful. So if there's the reality that, cool, you, 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 you follow Jesus, you, got to, you, know, you love him, you, you got your training, you're a leader now. Now do something with it. Produce. That is what he's saying. They must be found faithful. And he's looking around and he's going, I've got to give an account for this church. And y'all are wild. I went away and y'all are getting drunk at communion. I've got to write you again. I've got to come to you again. Like, God is going to judge me based off your faithfulness. Ever thought about that? Like, God is going to judge you. Judge the, the leaders off the faithfulness of the people. Are they producing fruit? And you're like, man, no wonder, like, you know, these guys, Paul's like, don't, don't choose to be a pastor on your own. Yes, God's got to call you. It's a great job. It's an awesome job. But he is saying that, dude, you've got to be found faithful and, and, and be found uh, trustworthy. And he's saying, like, he wants the church to see that. And he, he is saying, it's more than just, woohoo, I made it. Now you're a slave. you got work to be done. you got to get to work. you you, you got to produce fruit. Stewards must be found faithful. That means that, 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 that they must multiply. Now, hear me this. Multiplication happens by God's grace. Fruitfulness and productivity happens by God's grace. But the parable of the talent shows us that, that God desires us as stewards to invest what we have, time, talent, and treasure, and for the pastors, the people, invest the people and their resources in a way that will yield Productivity. It will yield a harvest. It will yield fruitfulness. We don't sit up here. We're not just doing, we're not playing dress up church like we're children acting out a movie. We're trying to produce dedicated disciples of Jesus. That, that your lives are changed, they're transformed. Like your marriage becomes different, better. Not just now. But the next 10 years, the next 10 years, when you're 60, 70, 80, you look back and go, God, look at this harvest that you've made abound in my life. Or, or, or the relationships, the way you encounter those in, in your workplace, the way you lead. You go from domineering, bully-type leader to being a servant, sacrificial, humble, grace, 
filled, driven leader like Jesus, not a pushover, but someone who's different, transformed. You, you go from where Jesus saved you, and he continues to sanctify you, transform you, mold you, shape you, and you become something that if Jesus were to tell you now what he has in store for you, you wouldn't believe it. That's the goal. That's the objective. How many of you, you already see that in your life, you're like, man, if you knew me before I was a Christian, you'd be shocked that I'm here. You'd be shocked that I'm here. See, we're not, Paul's not just trying to get people fire insurance to escape the wrath of God in hell. He wants them to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus has for them now and in the life to come. And so he's passionate. He's like, we got to be, stewards must be found faithful. Now the reality is the, the, the leaders must be faithful and leave the fruitfulness up to God. Because there will for sure be seasons of a plenty and bountiful, but there will be lean seasons. So oftentimes, and we're going to get into this now, um, uh, you, you get to lean seasons or get to difficult seasons in a church, and people from the outside look, and they, they, they criticize, and you're just like, it just feels like, well, maybe God's not working, maybe God's not doing something, but if you, if you were to take, go back to those metaphors of, of, of the, the field and of the building, like there's seasons in which work gets done. There's seasons of harvest, there's seasons of planting, there's seasons of fruitfulness. There's also seasons where you've got to tear some stuff down and rebuild it, restructure it, reorganize it, or... Or like you, something comes in like a, a, a disease or, or you think about you're, you're on a farm and you have animals and, and all your cows get sick. All your, all, all your food contracts a disease and now you got to start all over and you got to find the cause of it. Like it, There are seasons that look bleak and there are seasons that look awesome. And it is the job of the pastors and the leaders to keep the team going forward, focused on Jesus, not, not, not straying, trusting, hoping, in, in worshiping him. But it's the same as like uh, of Israel in the Old Testament. When God's people were rescued from Egyptian slavery, great day, part of the Red Seas, miracles happened. This is awesome. They just, got, they just walked through the Red Sea. God worked miracles. They saw it. They bear witness. Now they're in the wilderness. And God's providing every day. And they're like, man, we wish we could just go. It's so hard. It's so hard following God to the promised land. Like, there's bugs out here. It's hot. Like, it's a desert. Like, can we just go back to Egypt? It was better to be enslaved there because it was predictable. This whole thing with God following him, it's not predictable. I can't make my schedule. I don't know when it's going to happen. There's seasons that seem great, and there's seasons that seem awful. Like, I just can't handle this emotionally. I need more control. Get me back to Egypt. We're the same. The church is the same. And so the, the goal of the leaders is not to, 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 uh, it's to simply help us to lead in following Jesus. So in, in a way, the church leaders here, Paul and, and Apollos and Barnabas and, and Peter here, are the, they're leaders who are examples. You are to steward what God has given you. And they're, they're being examples. And so he's inviting them into this. But, but here's the reality. He says it again. Uh, uh, he says it also. This way, that the pastors, elders, the, the, the teachers of the Bible are stewards not only of, of the people, but they're stewards of what they teach. They're stewards of the mysteries of God. And what this is is not some, some crazy thing that's impossible to know, but what he is specifically speaking to here, the mysteries of God are the, is the good news of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he, he's been using this, this term, but what he is saying and what he has said throughout his teachings, the Apostle Paul, is that the whole Bible is about Jesus. 
that, 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 that when the Old Testament was written, many of the, the folks uh, who, who loved God and worshipped him, did, they were waiting for the Messiah. They didn't realize that the whole book was about the coming Messiah. So Jesus, upon his resurrection, actually brought some folks around, his disciples, and showed them, hey, here's me from Genesis 1 all the way throughout the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus. The whole New Testament is about Jesus. Everything in the, in the scriptures are about Jesus. And so what, what the pastors, the teachers, the stewards of helping people see that the whole Bible connects to Jesus. And that's what they're, that's what they're doing. They've got to be faithful to do that. The Bible is not a self-help book, though it helps you. But, it, but it, it is a book about Jesus that's calling our hearts to worship Jesus, to, to show that we are sinners in need of Jesus, to, to expose that, that we fall short and we rebel against him and that, that, that we, we, we go astray and we, we get frustrated with God and we, we, we sin against God. And yet Jesus loves us. Jesus comes after us. Have you, is there, I, I was talking to, one of you guys uh, recently uh, before service and, and talking about how uh, there, there's a situation I've been in and, and, and there's some, uh, an individual where uh, they, they, they've, they've sinned against me in a particular way and I've forgiven them, but they have not uh, received that forgiveness. They won't, they won't say that they're, they're wrong or they, 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 won't, they won't repent in any way. And it's just every day I'm just feeling the weight of this, feeling the weight of this. And it's just helping me see, I think the Lord is helping me see, like this is the, the longing for restoration. I'm longing for the gospel to, to, to bear fruit. I'm longing for the, the, everything that Jesus died for to be manifest in that relationship. There can be wholeness and, restore, and, and, and to be restored. But also the Lord is teaching me, this is, this is how God feels. Like Jesus has died in our place for our sins and risen victoriously from the dead. He's already done it. And there are folks, maybe some in here, who have yet to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. You've not received it. Jesus has offered it. You've not re- you have not received the sin atoning sacrifice. You haven't received it. It's been given. And he loves you. And he aches for you. He wants you to believe. And it's been given. And he's longing for restoration. And so this is what Paul's tasked to do. He's tasked to tell the mysteries of God, the good news of the gospel. Jesus has made a way for you. It also means that you're wrong and you need him. So it makes people mad. And it invites criticism. It actually attracts it. That's the next point. Attracting criticism. He says this. Criticism comes from the church and from outside the church, he says it this way, but, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any other human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I, am, uh, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. What he is saying here is he's saying that the leadership attracts critics. It does, but especially church leaders. The Corinthians have, have picked teams already. They're already criticizing. They have Team Apollos, Team Paul, Team Cephas. And so the, the critics are already out and they're in the church and they have their uniforms. They, they already have it. They're already, it's already attracted inside the church. And so it's likely that, that, that the team, you know, Paulos, the folks that are like not team Paul, are, have spoken disparagingly against Paul. 
especially when it comes to his speaking ability. We've already, we've already seen that he's insecure, that he doesn't have eloquent words in speech. We've, we've seen in Acts that Apollos is a way better preacher. And so like, he's like, man, I'm the leader, but like, they like Apollos. He's preaching better. Uh, he, he's more clear. And, 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 and they, they're, they're saying things perhaps about Paul. Additionally, he has said, here's my strategy. I preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now the pastors on the street are criticizing him going, hey, well, we got this new method. If you just do these things, you can get people in your doors. And you're like, well, I think, I think the, Jesus wants me to do this. So he's facing criticism about, 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 about his, his strategy. And so think about it. In, 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 in seasons that where things are booming, where, where the miracles are happening and God's moving in power, you're like, yeah, my strategy's great. <sighs> Better than yours. Pride, arrogance, can slip in there, uh, but but the point is, is that in, in seasons where, where things are going great, she says, man, our strategy is great. But in, in in lean seasons, you're like you question everything, and then the critics pile on. And so 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 now that's happening. Imagine if you're a farmer, and you're like uh, some of the analogies I, I gave already, and they, you're like, well, I know how to do this. This is the job. We got to plant these things, season planting, harvest. You know, we we know what we're doing. But then a drought comes. You're like, man, I can't control these things. But then the critics come out and go, well, hey, you got a drought. You know what? You don't have enough faith. It's really holy people. You've ever met them? Like, you just don't have enough faith. You just don't have enough faith. That's why there's a drought. You know, you're not praying enough. You're not fasting enough. Oh, you're not giving enough. You need to give more. That's what, if you give, God will give. Like, you, know, like you just hear, I'm quoting things that literally people say that are in, the, in our contemporary church culture, that abound. And on top of that, then you, Paul has, has already faced critics from the outside of the church with death threats and riots in Corinth. Like, just see this, that, that, that no one in the church is happy with him, and then the people outside the church are trying to kill him. Like, there's a saying for that that I can't say in a sermon. So, like, that's where he's at. He's stuck. He, if he does this, it's not good. If he does that, it's not good. Like, he's just there, stuck in the middle. And so nowadays, it's even, it's even more different in that, Everyone has their own opinion, and, uh, and we live in this comparing culture. Like, oh, my last church, especially if you had, you had a great church. Now, pray, you should praise God for the last church. It was great. The last church you were at, people moved to San Antonio, you moved to a new city, uh, and, and you're like, man, that, my last church was great. Uh, my, that college ministry I was a part of, awesome. I lived overseas when I was doing that thing. That was awesome. Like, there are real things that God really used that were really fruitful and a real blessing, and you move to the next place that God has for you, and you find yourself going, man, it's just not the same. Now you're comparing. My last church was better. The, that, that preacher was definitely better. That, the, the, the musicians were better at this church. Like, I've seen, I've heard people that they're like, you know, we go to this church for the music, this church for the preaching, and this church for the kids' ministry. And it's like, well, you know, I go to HEB for everything. You need to find a church that has it all. Like, it, it is, and that's what God has all churches to be. We've, we've already seen that he's told the Corinthians that you have all the gifts. Just get in line. Like, well, it's not like my last church. Well, it's not. And hear this. There will be no churches like your last church because there's only that church. There will be no churches like this church ever because this is this church. Just like there's no duplicates of you. Like, do you hope, like, I'd hope that there's not more of me, but I'm just saying, like, there's just, like, you, you are uniquely wired and gifted. God ordained that you be an individual in his image and in his likeness different than any other person who's ever lived and in, 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 in will ever live on the face of planet Earth. 
Additionally, he builds churches that are uniquely different than any other church that will ever be on the face of planet Earth. Even the ones that plant and they're similar and they, they multiply and they're similar, they're different. That's a good thing. And so just imagine, you know, in, in Paul's context, they don't even have the option of knowing what's going on in the rest of the world like we do. And so there's always, there's this vast consumer performance-driven culture we find ourselves in uh, where everyone has their own opinion. And, and, and Paul is saying, I can't let the opinion of the critics lead the church. This is Jesus' church. I know your last church did those things very well. You should praise God for that. And if it's, and if it's good enough to reproduce here, you should help lead that. You should help cultivate in that. You're like, man, well, people were really nice to each other at our last church. Let me just ask you, are you really nice to people in this church? Because if you're not, then maybe that's why they sent you this way, because you didn't add to their number who was nice. Like, I don't know. Just if you find that if people are not nice, you should be nice. If you find that people are not generous, hospitable, maybe God has put you here that there could be more generous and hospitable people. Maybe. Just a thought. Pray about that. It's just like you know, we act like God is not in control and God has no clue of what he is doing and everything is, 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 is you know, the leaders are not doing it right. And, and, and that's what they're doing. They're criticizing everything. And Paul's like, you know what? I really could care less what you think. I really could care less what you think. He says, I'm not, he's like, I'm not aware of anything against myself uh, that I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. He, what he's saying is I've searched my heart. I've searched my heart. I, I, I'm praying. I'm, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm asking God, like, is there sin here? Am I, am I rebelling against you? Am I doing things wrong? Do I need to repent here? He's getting accountability. He, he, he's putting himself in, in, in position to hear from the Lord. He's like, hey, I've searched my heart. And, and honestly, like, I don't see anything that I've sinned. We may have differing opinions. It may be different strategies. But I'm going to preach Jesus the gospel has the power to save. That's what I'm going to do. I don't really care what you think. It's Jesus' church. If he says do it, I'm doing it. And this is a hard thing because uh, leaders love people. They're like, well, I don't like the way we're doing this. I have a pastor friend who, who literally has a, a member, and he was talking to me this week about it. He's like, there's a member of our church um, who, who just every week, like, ask why we do that. They did a they, they did a Bible reading from a particular psalm, and it was the Old Testament. They're like, why are we reading the Old Testament in church today? Like criticizing, criticizing, criticizing at every turn. And he, and he was just weeping, actually sharing this with me, like how much he loves this, the, 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 these people, and he wants to care for them. And he's like, I'm so scared to go to church on Sunday because this person is, is just going to be there, and they're, they're nagging me all the time, and they don't understand, and like I'm trying to... I literally picked this one for her because it's Jesus in the Old Testament, and I want her to see. And she, that's the one she criticized me. That's where I got the email. That's where it happened, and criticism hurts. More than that, he's also saying that he's not bound by his own self-degradation. See, Paul's already told us that, that leaders are often insecure. He said, I've come to you weary. I've come to you with tears. I've come to you insecure. It's oftentimes leaders are the worst critics. So the critics pile on to, to a criticism that's already begun in their own heart. Satan, the accuser, we're told in Revelation, accuses the saints night and day. The critics in the church pile on. And on top of that, the critics outside. 
And this is what he's trying to share them. Criticism hurts, but he, he says it this way. He's not pity partying this. He's saying, like, I don't care what you say about me. I know my Lord. He has acquitted me. I'm going to him. I'm not aware of anything I've done. If, I, if there was sin, I would repent. But don't pronounce judgment before it's time. Don't tell me that this strategy's not working until we see Jesus face to face. He told me to preach the gospel and do it this way, so I'm doing it this way. I'm going to keep doing it until I die. He calls me home, even if it's fruitful. That's what he's doing. He's got to remind himself that truth as well. This is the struggle here of leadership. The point he's making is that he serves an audience of one. He is not saying, though, that, that, that he is uh, going to be, you should be domineering. Like, oh, don't judge me. I know what to do. Order, uh, you know, obey my commands. He's not lacking compassion. He's not saying this out of self, selfish pride. He, he's saying this in a posture. He's saying, uh, he, he, I want you to love Jesus. I'm, I know I'm going to be misunderstood. I'd rather be misunderstood, and I'm willing to be hurt for the sake and cause of, of, of shepherding, loving, and caring for this, this Corinthian church. I, I put myself uh, in accountability. I have folks over me. I, I, I'm searching my own heart. I'm growing. I'm repenting. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. And what, what God has not f- finished yet, he will do it. I'm trusting him, and I just got to step forward and lead. That's what he's saying. He's saying the opinions and critics within the church and outside the church cannot be bowed to for the sake of leading the church. If, if, if they were, then he would not be a servant or steward of God. That is his job. And so he might seem not very nice when he doesn't, you know, obey the demands of the, of the, of the critics in the church. Like, well, I really want things this way. You're like, man, I love you so much. Here's why we're not doing it that way. We're going to do it this way. And you're like, well, I, I just, I just, I'm just, I'm going to go to another church. Like, okay, like, I wish you wouldn't. I don't know how many times I've had that conversation. I say, I just wish you wouldn't. I just needed you to know that the grass is not greener on the other side. It never is. The grass is always greener where you water it. Don't believe me? Summer's coming. You tell me. Summer in Texas. Where will be the, where will be the greener grass? The enemy will put the heat on. From critics inside the church, outside the church, from lies within your own heart. He's going to put the heat on. It's going to be like Texas summer all year long with the enemy. But the Lord has given us the job of plant and water. Where you water, there will be growth. Where you plant, seeds will prosper. Don't give up. Do things God's way. And that's what he's saying he's going to keep doing. He's going to keep repenting. He's going to keep seeking the Lord. He's, at, he's asked the Lord to search his heart. He says it, that, that Jesus is both the judge. He's going to judge him. He's also the rewarder. He says each one will receive his commendation from God. He's also talking to the church. Remember, they're to be planting and watering as well. They're to be building as well. He's like, hey, God's going, God's going to judge you too. Like, are you planting? Are you watering? Are you, are you being about? Are you just criticizing? Are you, are you in complaining? Are you part of the building? Are you helping? Are you, are, you, are you putting your time, your resources as a steward into what God has given and begging God to produce the fruit that only he can do? Being faithful and letting God make you fruitful. It's hard. It's hard. And this is the posture of a leader, but it's a must and if you want to lead in the church, you got to get thick skin because they're critics, and you have a, but you also have to have a tender heart to care. You've got to care for the critic. Without tenderness and this type of toughness, you won't make it. He says next that the word of God is the standard. He's saying, he says in verse 6, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So he's like, hey, I've applied God's word. 
I'm, I'm digging in. I'm repenting. I'm doing everything I'm telling you I'm doing for your sake, for your benefit, brothers, because I want to bless you. I want to build you. I want to nourish you. I want to care for you. I'm doing it all for your sake. That you may learn, that, that you may learn by us, so as an example, not to go beyond what is written, because the word of God is the standard, is what he's saying. That none of you may be puffed up in favor uh, of one another uh, against another. So I don't stop the divisions. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast if you did not receive it? So he's saying two things here. He says, don't go beyond what is written, meaning the word of God is the standard. He also says, look at the grace of God in your life that that you've received. Look around. He asked the question, what do you have that you did not receive? Meaning everything you had was a gift. You received it. So the first thing, the word of God is the standard. What he is saying is that our thoughts, our actions, everything about us must be tethered and submitted to the word of God. We must not go beyond it. Do not go beyond what is written and bound in the book. We don't add to the gospel. We don't, we, the, 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 the gospel doesn't have extra power if you add a little extra personality. You should preach the gospel with personality. If someone gets saved, awesome. It was not your personality. It was the power of God. You should, your personality should shine forth, but your, your personality is not the center stage. Jesus is and his work. And so we should, in our thoughts, so our thoughts, we must take them captive, obedient, obey Christ. That means we're repenting of sin, we're walking in humility, we're servants and stewards, we're doing that, we're, we're, do, we're leading, we're loving, we're serving like Jesus, and our actions overflow, and, and they, they start reflecting Jesus, because we're submitted to his word. If, it, the whole Christian life is to be, as we're told in the Great Commission, is we're to be obedient, we're to teach one another to observe or obey all that Christ has commanded until Jesus returns. That's the job. That's the mission. That's what Jesus said. To obey him, all his teachings. So he's telling them, I, I, I'm applying God's word to my, myself, and I'm applying it to the other pastors, and, and we're, we're in, in community together, we're in accountability together, we're, we're submitted to God's word, and I want this to be an example that you can learn for us that you too must submit yourself, your life, to Jesus and his word. His word is the standard. All that Christ has commanded, meaning that from, from the time you first believed till the time you breathe your last breath, no matter how old you are, Jesus is forming you and transforming you and doesn't want to keep you the same. He's not done with you. Think about where you're at. Jesus is not done with you. Some of you, that's really good news because you're like, praise the Lord. Some of you may be arrogant enough to think, I don't know how much more he's got to work on. Just want you to know if that's you, he probably, you probably have the most. That's what he's saying. He says, he says uh, what, who sees anything different in you? So he's looking at, he's encouraging those. He's mocking one group and he's encouraging another. Hey, look around. Sometimes we need other people to affirm what God is doing in us. Hey, hey you're your own worst critic. You don't see things God's way. You only see the things oftentimes as a critic. And, and now as Paul's pointing his attention, like, you've changed. You're different. That's God. But then there's some who you're, he's going, who sees anything different in you? You look the same. You're like a 60-year-old Christian who looks like a two-year-old. Like, that's what he's saying. Like, you haven't matured. He's speaking specifically to the Corinthians. That's what he's been saying. Like, some of you are like toddlers. When you should be teenagers. 
It's not cute for a teenager to be driving a car with a pacifier. It's not. But Corinthians, that's you. That's what he's been saying. So he's, he's using a bit of sarcasm and he's using a, a, a bit of, 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 of language to stir up in them so they would see how ridiculous some of them are being. But then also to encourage some to go, hey, what have you had that you've not received? It's a, it's a, it's a rebuke, but it is a grace. So let me ask you, what do you have that you did not receive? You're like, well, I bought this. Who gave you the money? Well, I worked the job. Who gave you the job? I, earned, I did the whole thing. Well, who gave you breath? We'll get to that point. Who gave you life? God. Like, like, cool. Jesus gave everything to you. What do you have? This is a great uh, reflection question for the Christian to keep us humble and have a heart of thanksgiving. What do you have that you do not receive? You own nothing. You own nothing. The time you've been alive and the time you will be alive is a gift that God has given you. Additionally, the, the talent, the, the gifts that God has given you, the, the things you're good at, they're God's gifts and he's given them to you. They're on loan. And you must be found trustworthy. Your treasure, your money, is on loan. It's been given to you by God. It's his money. You don't have money. It's his money. Your, your possessions are his possessions. Everything is God's on loan to you so that you would be a steward who is found faithful. How are you stewarding? Some of you, you're like, man, I don't have much, and you just, well, I don't have much, so I can't do much. I need you to see that the scriptures are full of men and women who have the, the, the most faithful are often those who have the least. Those who have the most are often the most faithless. I need you to see this. It's not about how much you have. It's not about what you have. It's about what are you doing with the things that God has given you. If you're waiting to get more to steward more faithfully, you won't do it when you have more. And it's probably the reason why God hasn't given you more. Because we're told through the scriptures, this principle, that, that God, it, it, he, those who are faithful with little, he gives much. And we're told also that those who are not faithful, they have, he, God takes it away and gives it to other people. So God may have stripped you from things and maybe wanting to, maybe about to strip you from things because you've not been faithful in giving them gifts, talents, blessings to other people who have been in the context of the church. I just need you to see this. It's like if this guy won't wield the hammer, then and that guy is the only guy that has the gift of hammering, I'm gonna take the gift away from him, give it to this dude who doesn't have the gift of hammering, but dude, he's trying. He's putting holes in every single wall. And when I put my spirit in him and give him the gift of hitting that nail, it's gonna be great. No more bruised and bloody hands, and you know, he's gonna be great. All of a sudden, God will raise up people in the context of the church who have no skills and ability in some area and calls them and equips them to do that because the person who did have that skill, gifting, and talent and availability squandered it. Jesus loves his church so much that he's about building it. He wants you to be a part of it. So steward the little things you have. Steward the bountiful things you have. Steward it all. Remember this. What do you have that you did not receive? Why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Don't complain. Don't be proud and arrogant. And also don't be pitiful. Like, I don't have much. You have a lot. Even if it's a little, it's enough. Steward it. That's what he's saying. He ends this passage where we're at today with the cost. He's going to switch 
tones a little bit. He's going he's to change his tone. He's going to move from, uh, from, from uh, this pastoral type conversation to being a little more swift and sharp. He's going to be wielding the sword here, and he's going to be using some, uh, some sarcasm. So that's where he begins. He, he begins with some, some sharp sarcasm. And he tells them this, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And what, do you, and what, do you, or what did you reign that you might share the rule? Uh, oh, that you did reign is what he's saying. Like, oh, I wish you were kings. You think you're kings. You're not kings, but you think you're cool. Oh, I wish you really were rock stars. I really wish you were cool so that we could share in, in your coolness. Saying, look at you. You don't need pastors. You don't need church leadership. You don't need church structure. You don't need discipline. You don't need us, Paul, Apollo, Cephas. You figured it out. You got your teams. You got your jerseys. You got your committees. You got you know how to do it all. You know how to do the groups. You know how to do the preaching. You have opinions about everything. You know the best YouTube channel, the best worship music. You know it all. You fools. Y'all are awesome. Y'all are so cool. You don't need anything. He's mocking them hard here. You have money. You have jobs. Oh, you're a business executive. I'm sure you could run a church because you know how to organize. I know you know how to manage. Oh, you led a Bible study at your last church? Great. Cool. We should just give you everything. That's what he's saying. (laughs) He's saying you don't need God. You don't need God's ways. You can figure it out. And he says this, here's, that's you, he's mocking them. And this is us, in reality. I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise, because we've invested in you and we were putting time and energy in you and you've become wise, but you won't listen to us. We are weak, and now you are strong. You are held in honor. We are in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless, and we labor working with our own hands because y'all won't give. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like, a, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's us. Congratulations, kings. Y'all got it all. Lead the church. Figure it out. You can do it. Y'all are smarter and wiser than everybody. This is a hard word from a loving pastor. Paul wants the church to see, hey, this is the reality of ministry. This is the reality. We're doing all these things for your benefit, church. Paul, what Paul is not doing, he's not complaining He's not looking for sympathy. He's making the point that Jesus has called him and the other pastors to this particular task. They're slaves to Jesus. He doesn't need the opinion of other people. And he's saying, well, everyone in the church is complaining and criticizing what they're doing. Uh, the, and the leaders are still trying to help them, to love them, to serve them, to try not to be divisive, to try to bring unity, try to help people repent of their sin and, and repent of their own sin, trying to walk with Jesus, be present, all this is going on while the world is, is hating them too. So, the, the, so the, the, the criticisms coming within the church as the pastors try to lovingly, sacrificially serve as servants of the Lord Jesus. And then the meanwhile, the world around them is trying to kill them. Literally, it's what he is saying. 
He's saying, literally talking about the gladiators uh, like in the days where, where Christians were, were literally, Christians were taken and thrown into the gladiatorial uh, Colise- into the Colosseum for the, for the gladiators to kill for sport for the, the Greco-Roman world. Or they were fed to animals so that everyone could come watch. Hey, you know, there's a game going on tonight. We're going to go to there. And it's like, what is it? Oh, First Corinthians church pastor thrown into the lion's den, mauled to death. They celebrate. He's like, man, i got to worry about getting thrown to lions over here, so i got to leave town, do all these things, and I'm writing these letters to you because I care about you, and y'all just, I'm going to lose it. I love you. I care for you. That's what he is saying. In our day, it's, you can go to any church you want. In our day, Christians, all, and what he's also saying is that what you're not seeing is that they're not just like pastors to lions. It's Christians. Hey, Corinthians, you're one of us. You're, one, you're a Christian. So some of them are probably like changing their theology, going, hey, I'm not, I'm, ooh, I gotta be progressive now. I wasn't, now I am, because I don't wanna be called a liar, never-minded, bigoted. I really don't like this whole this uh, scum of the world thing, so I need to switch teams. I'm calling myself Christian, but I scum of the earth, I don't want that. I don't want narrow-minded, bigoted, hate speech. Nope, that's not me. I gotta say things in a way that the, the world's gonna accept me. I gotta say things to where I can keep my friends. Paul's like, you're doing all that. Do you not understand that if you do that, eventually you're gonna not be a Christian, but you can't be friends with the world and friends with God. Just, you can. That's what the scriptures teach us. You can have friends of the world, but you can't become them and still be a Christian. The Corinthians, that's what they're doing. They've called themselves Christians, but we've seen it repeatedly. They're acting like non-Christians, trusting and hoping in the things of the world, and their behavior shows. And to add on that, the enemy is deceiving them, tricking them, undoing what Paul and the other the pastors are, are depositing into them. They're believing lies. They spend one you know, hour in a sermon and they leave and they're like you know, 40 hours on YouTube. They got a degree in how to be you know, a pagan. And it's effective. Like we should bring some of that in the church. We should blend stuff together. We could really get people hyped and grow a church. Paul's like, you think you know it all. I love you. I'm trying to lead you. You're criticizing everything. I just need you to see things from my perspective. And oh, by the way, they hate you too. Oh, by the way, you're going to get thrown to lions as well. What are you going to do on that day? What are you going to do when they, they take you from your wife and kids? Are you going to say, I'm a bondservant of King Jesus. I will, I will refuse to worship any other God. Or will you, because your practice of, of, of doing weak things all the time, disobeying God, never being disciplined in order to honor, love, and serve the Lord or sacrifice anything, will you just recant? Or is your life patterned around worshiping Jesus with everything? So if they come to take you and they kill you and you, they, you say, hey, you know what? To die is gain. God will protect my wife and children because he's God. And so I'm not going to back down. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to hold the line. I'm going pre- to be submitted to Jesus. I'm a bondservant of him. What happens when this happens to you, church? That's what he's saying. You think you're cool. You think you got it all figured out. What happens when you come on their hit list? What happens when they're coming for you and your family? Guess what? That actually happens in history. 
The Christians under Nero literally get burned on poles so they could light the parties for the pagans. Imagine every time you put, turn on your light in your house, or just know that one, at one point in time, that was, those were Christians. That's what they were doing. And Paul's writing to them going, hey, there's a cost here to follow Jesus. There's a cost to be a pastor. There's a cost here. No one likes us, and, and the people who should like us are dividing. They're, they're picking teams. They're, they're mocking one another. They're, they're degrading one another. The Christians then are degrading each other, not just Paul and Apollos and their teams, but now they're fighting one another. He's like, y'all are on the same team. You're like, well, I don't have the background. I like his movies. His movies are dumb. His books are dumb. I don't like what they do. They, you know, they're nerds. They homeschool. We don't like that. What happened? And he's like, y'all are the, this whole batch is about to be thrown to lions. You're all on the same team. You're all on the same team. Jesus has loved you. He has rescued you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. And your hope is in dumb stuff. Hope in God. Be your servants and stewards. Be trustworthy. Hold the line. What happens when you become what's happening to us? Are you going to hold the line? I want to encourage you. I want to help you. We want to bless you. That's what Paul's saying to, to this church. And so to wrap up the sermon, I'm going to end with a quote. It's a quote that I think sums up this entire thing. It's from a, a, a 17th century pastor. He says this. He says, the, the labors of ministry. So hear it. The labors of ministry. He's talking specifically about pastoral ministry and faithfulness. And I think he's hitting at the heart of what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying past, he says, labors in ministry, the labors of ministry will exhaust the very marrow from your bones. Hasten old age and death, Luther said. They're fittingly compared to the toil of men in harvest. He's already talked about the harvest. He's already talked about, right, laboring, building, planting. To the labors of a woman in travail. A lot of moms in here have had some babies, right? Agony. It's hard. Even after the baby's born, it's hard. And to the agonies of, soldier, uh, to agonies of, of soldiers in the extremity of battle. We must watch others sleep. And indeed, there is not much of the expense of our labor as the loss of them that kills us. It is not with us as with other labors. I mean, there's other jobs that are different. Other jobs, he says, they find their work as they leave it. Meaning you clock in, you clock out, your work's still there. We, it's not so. Sin and Satan unravel almost all we do. The impressions we make on our people's souls in one sermon vanish before the next. So we must fight in defense of the truths we preach as well as study them to paleness and to preach them unto faintness. But well-spent head, lungs, and all, so we welcome sore muscles, aching backs, trembling legs, if we can, by all, but approve ourselves, Christ's faithful servants, and hear the voice from his mouth, well done, good and faithful servants. Pastoral ministry is for an audience of one. The Christian life 
is for an audience of one. His name is Jesus. He's come after you. He's rescued you. He's redeemed you. He wants you to know he loves you. He wants to eclipse all of the trials, all the suffering, all the pain, all that's hard in this life, in the Christian life. He wants to eclipse it with himself. Just like you look at the sun and you look at the sun and it blinds you and you can't like, you don't, you're disoriented. Jesus wants us to look upon him, behold his glory, and then eclipse us from all that's around us. So if we're honest, many of us, we're cynical, we're critical. We're critical of ourselves, we're critical of others. Like we walk into rooms and we're like, man, I can only see what's wrong here. Like literally was me. We were in a prayer meeting. In the room we're in right before this, uh, I noticed the books were the wrong way. I walked in first time and I'm like, why are the books like that? It's not even my books. It's not even my, it's, it's, it's many of us, because of past hurt, current you know, circumstance, or inundated with the cults around us, find ourselves being very, very critical, maybe very cynical. We're far often to, to lead, be led by pride on how we view the church, how we view ourselves, how we view one another. We'd rather, from time to time, to be, to be consumers rather than stewards. Consuming is easy. We, we struggle to want to be, we, we want to be found trustworthy, but we don't want to put in the work. Others, today, maybe this is you, you, you're faced with the reality of, like, man, I've just been faithless. Like, absolutely faithless and not faithful. Like, I haven't even tried. And maybe it grieves you. You're, it grieves you. You wish it weren't so. You look at your life and you're like, man, I've wasted so many years. I've wasted so many minutes. I've wasted so much time. And I just wish it wasn't so. And so your, your instinct is to go, well, I just should give up and not keep trying. Surely God doesn't have much left for me. I've wasted enough years. I don't have enough time. The good days are behind me. I'm just going to live with the lot, the bet I've made. Some of you, that's you. And then others of you, you're, you're going, I, I long to be more faithful. I want to be more faithful. But you find yourself slothful, apathetic in zeal, distracted by dumb, meaningless things. And each week you resolve, like, I'm going to not do that. I'm not going to be distracted here. I'm going to put in discipline here. And you find yourself back in the same position every week. And you're just frustrated. You're hearing the sermon. You're like, no, I get it, but I just don't get it. I'm just stuck. I do see that the, the, I, you know, the enemy does undo all that he did. I, I feel that. I experience that. I need you all to know this today, no matter where you're at, if you're in any of those categories, I need you to know this, that Jesus wants you to believe, uh, he wants you to leave behind all of those things today. If you're like, I've wasted my life, I've been faithless, I don't have enough time, he wants you to leave that lie at his feet today. He wants you to leave it there, not pick it up, just leave it, let him deal with it, he'll take out the trash. He wants you to believe the lies that you're believing about and the criticism you have of your own self and your own heart and the own condemnation that you're agreeing with Satan about, who accuses the saints night and day, and you're like, yeah, I agree. He wants you to leave that as well. He wants you to leave your cynicism and critical nature towards others and towards yourself. He wants you to leave it with Jesus. He wants you to take your past hurts that have, that have, that have 
colored your view of Christianity, your view of church, your, your view of leaders, and, 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 and the, the reason why you don't hope and trust and don't obey and don't love Jesus, he wants you to leave that with Jesus today. He wants you to give him your current circumstance. Your, he wants him to give you, he wants you to give him your life, your pride, your arrogance, what zeal you do have, your lack of it, your laziness, your slothfulness, your sin. He wants you to lay it all at his feet. So we do that today. I invite you to just, what is Jesus doing to your heart? How is he working on you? What do you need to give to him today and walk out of here and never pick back up? That's what I invite you to today. As we respond, we need to remember this, that when we were faithless, Jesus remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He is not done with you no matter what you've gone through. The best days in Christ are always ahead. Always ahead. Always ahead. Your best marriage is always ahead. You're like, my marriage is great. Praise God, it's gonna be even better with Jesus. The best days as a father, the best days as a mother, the best days as a job worker, the best days as a, as a, as a king's kid, as a Christian, as a citizen of, of, of the heavenly nation are ahead of you, always. Will you receive that from Jesus today? Lay down the things, the sin, the weight, the, the, the things that are so heavy laden on you Give them to Jesus. Come to him. He'll give you rest. He'll restore your soul. He'll nourish your body. He'll empower you with his spirit. He'll remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. And may you be reminded today that there's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in you. So if you never put your trust, you put your faith, put your hope in him, I invite you to do that. Begin a new life. Begin a new life. And so I invite us all to yield to Jesus, to surrender to whatever he's pressing on your heart. Receive his forgiveness and hear his affirmation. Hear this. He, wa he wants you to know, hey, I have better for you. My child, my son, my daughter, I have better for you. I really do. The things you're holding on to, the hurt that you're experiencing, the way you've, you've positioned yourself, it's not the best for you. I have better for you. I want more for you. I have your best intentions ahead. Will you trust me? He may not be telling you what those are, but it will take a step of faith. It will take a step of surrender. You must be willing to say, I'm a slave to Jesus. I'm a steward. Therefore, Lord Jesus, make me trustworthy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus Christ to rescue and redeem us. Help us to receive his forgiveness today. Help us to, to lay down the sin that clings so closely, that's keeping us cynical, keeping us hurt, keeping us bitter, keeping us consumers, keeping us lazy, keeping us distracted, keeping us mindlessly unable to do the work you've called us to do, that's making us squander our giftings, to making us poor stewards. We give them to you today, Jesus, and ask that you would restore in us the joy of our salvation. Renew us with a steadfast spirit to sustain us. Give us the same spirit that, that, that you gave Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to empower our lives and our ministries, that we would be good and faithful stewards and servants. May we follow you, Jesus, with our own heart, our whole heart this week. 
when we fight the sin that rises up in our own heart to believe lies and condemnation of the enemy. When we fight the lies to, to choose to find satisfaction in anything other than you. May we fight sin this week and be successful, giving lethal blow. And may we, by your grace, Lord Jesus, fulfill and walk in your mission, empowering us to, to be gospel lights in the areas where we live, work, and play, introducing people to this good, great God who loved us, gave himself for us. And may we, by your grace, see men and women in our sphere of influence meet you, Jesus, and be changed. Lord, keep changing us as we respond and we worship you. In Christ's name, amen.